Travelers, and welcome to another episode of Tales of Tabat, a Genshin lore podcast. Last week, we took a class in law and learned more about Yanfei, her family, and her views on the world. Like Yanfei, we hope there will one day be a world where lawyers aren't needed, but we don't see that happening in Tabat anytime soon. This week, we're going to be talking about my personal favorite spot on the Tabat map, Dragonspine. Additionally, I want to remind travelers to visit talesofdevot.com to see visual representations of the lore mentioned during today's podcast. Your guides have put them together for you to make things a little easier to understand. But let's jump into it. So personally, the first time I ever saw Dragonspine, I can actually remember being on Discord with Brandon. And I was like, ooh, look, people to fight. I could go do this quest line. And Brandon was like, get out of there. It's too hard. <laughs> and I looked and the bad guys were like level 32 and I was like level four. And I was like, avert <laughs> mission and like glided back the other way um, as Lumine probably. <laughs> How many times do you think you've frozen up there? Never. You've never oh, frozen? Right. You've never killed a character? <laughs> No. That's some bullshit. That's some bullshit. I yeah, feel like I, I drown you. more than I freeze. Hmm. <laughs> Once you got used to it, sure. Yeah, yeah. I would like to know how many people have been lost in general on that mountain. How many travelers have died on the mountain's ledge? Yeah. I would like to know Brilliant. how many other players consider that their favorite region of the game, <laughs> because I'm pretty sure you're the only one. Well, we'll have a poll in today's episode. So answer and let us know if Dragonspine <laughs> is your favorite location in the game. The true question is, how many of us have 100% of Dragonspine? Exploration or achievements? Oh. Both. Yeah. Me. <laughs> I, same, because I wanted to get the fuck out of there after I do that. Oh, I was having some fun exploring it, walking around, checking out the, like, Little white foxes. I was like, hey, booze, collecting my star silver. <laughs> I have a good old time there. And one of my favorite weapons I used is Snow Tomb Star Silver, which is a claymore I have on Chong Yu. And full disclosure, as a reminder, one of Feeny's favorite characters of all time in any franchise, game, anything is Albedo. Oh, yeah. So Dragonspine automatically gets a extra little notch in my book because it's basically Albedo's like home base. I'm assuming he has a home in like Mondstadt, like a, a, a room in the Knights headquarters, but otherwise he sleeps in a cave. So we all know Dragonspine as the first area in the game that could kill you. You know, this is pre-Inazuma, you know, yes. and in Inazuma, everything tries to kill you. And Dragonspine, the air tries to kill you. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It reminds me of home. Yeah, I know there was speculation that Sumeru would do something similar in the desert part of it with heat. Um, maybe they listened to user feedback and decided not to do that. <laughs> Thank God. But Thank also, I, the desert is so much larger then dragon's fine too could you imagine you just have to jump into the little oasises to cool off or go underground because <laughs> yeah, it has like yeah. a sprawling like whole other level mm -hmm. but yeah so dragon spine was uh actually inspired by the matterhorn mountain in the alps which oh, is between switzerland and italy not in disney <laughs> not the matterhorn in disney <laughs> It's not that fun. It's not that fun. In fact, it's quite terrifying. So, and you know, that's interesting you say that, Brandon, because didn't they do a uh, event in the Alps recently where they put like a teleport waypoint out there and like people skied past it? Yes. Yes, I believe yeah, that, was... that was during the Suspedo event, right? Where 
or wait, was that during the Suspedo event? I think it was right after, yeah. That what was that like th- 2.7, 2.6, I don't know. Yeah, and we were all jealous, like we're all gonna go to the Alps or something. I was about to buy my ticket, go to Italy just for that, use a passport just for that. <laughs> <laughs> like, what brings you here? Genshin. <laughs> <laughs> but what were your guys' first impressions of Dragonspine besides the freezing part, obviously? I thought it was beautiful from a distance. <laughs> you know, looking at it, I was like, oh, I was like, that place looks so cool. And then I went and I immediately died. Like, yeah. Immediately. Because, you know, I quote unquote read the thing telling me <laughs> that I could die. <laughs> but then I didn't realize how quickly that would happen. <laughs> I clicked X really quick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I, I kind of avoided it a lot in the beginning because I just had such a hard time. I feel like it's it's kind of challenging for as early as it is in the game. Right. It is a very neat place. And as I started to uncover different parts of it that weren't, you know, kind of when you start following the different quest lines, it became really interesting. When a lot of us started playing, Dragonspine had already been released. But Brandon, do you remember the release of Dragonspine? I don't know if the actual region was out, but I, I know they were like playing with it, like having it involved in some of the like the very first events, like the one with Mona and Fischl. Okay. And the uh, actual debut of Scaramouche also oh involved God, yes. Dragonspine. I always forget about that, that Scara has been around since Mondstadt, since one point something. Yeah, it might have been 1.1. 1. 1. It was one of the very first ones. They've been leaking his Transformer phase for a while now. <laughs> I was also curious, I know most of you avoid Dragonspine now, but when you do go to Dragonspine, what is your main objective right now? Star Silver! Hell yeah. Same. Star Silver in, in the Dragon's Teeth because I really do I enjoy the craftable weapons we get from Dragonspine and sometimes I go back to look at some lore stuff that we'll talk about later. But a lot of it is like I just want to make a really good Snow Tomb Star Silver for when I get Eula when she comes <laughs> back cuz oh damn, I need some revenge. All the vengeance. So, what about you guys? Tiff, Brandon, are you just completely avoiding it? <laughs> Personally, yes. I think I only go back there um, basically when I'm helping other friends who need to get through the quests. Outside of that, I just kind of look at it from afar. Oh, yeah. If a friend newly starts playing Genshin and I see that they're on in the mountains, the the w- most horrifying world quest in the game, then I that's when I usually go there to help them. It's the only way I was able to get a certain area done (laughs) is because bees helped me. Reuniting the frost nail. Yeah. Oh my (laughs) God. It was so complicated and stupid. For the most part, people, when they get to that point, they have not actually needed to like Google any (laughs) walkthroughs or anything in this game. So they're just like, why is this so hard? And I'm confused. I don't know where to go. I don't know. I guess it was in a way it was a symbol of things to come (laughs) to a degree. But I I still believe that that is like one of the hardest quests in the game. It's definitely become in our like friend group, a rite of passage to get through that quest. People be like, oh, I'm struggling struggling on dragon spine and we'll be like i'm coming right now <laughs> like we immediately right. hop over and help it's become so much easier now which is nice i think also it it helps when we get to dragon spine the idea of puzzles has kind of entered our minds but we haven't had like 
significant puzzles needed to be done necessarily so it's like your first introduction of like a full worldwide puzzle of a region and it's damn is it a hard awakening Uh, yeah definitely also it's the first time i think as a player you're also shown these like little snippets of lore that you kind of have to find as you go throughout the mountain yeah between the you know the tablets and you're trying to open up different parts but you have to kind of understand why those tablets are all connected to one another and even when you're um looking for that kid's father i forgot his name joel joel's dad one of the many orphan childs basically (laughs) but it's neat how like yeah you do get introduced to it and then like you know there's the one door that you can't open until you get all the different scribe box and all those different pieces and right it kind of gives you a lot of the story was probably very confusing in the very beginning but afterwards you kind of go okay i I get it so you mentioned actually the scribe the priestess you've mentioned a few things got you guys now about the history of dragon's fine so let's like sit down in our school desks today and we're gonna really jump back into a history lesson of dragon's fine all the way back to when it was originally Sal Vendagner. And I'm going to give everyone a, a prelude right now. I, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. I'm trying. I thought it was Salvinure until five minutes ago. So <laughs> please <laughs> bear with me if I keep pausing <laughs> and saying it very slowly. But Dragon's Fine back in the day uh, prior to the Archon War and during Descabarian's r- rampage in Old Mondstadt, Sal Vindagnir was a place and it was a luscious, beautiful Iceland. Confusing, right? But it was beautiful. I thought it, it wasn't actually, cold back then. It wasn't. It so No, yeah, that Iceland, because Iceland and Greenland oh. are vice versa. <laughs> oh. Oh Come on, guys. <laughs> I was described as verdant. Ooh. Verdant, luscious, prosperous. It's this. It wasn't an oasis, but it was definitely more livable and habitable than it is now. And this is all, again, during the time that Andreas and Decarabian were at war and, you know, keeping old Mondstadt in a blizzard-esque state. So some people were able to escape that and they settled on that mountain. And a lot of this we get from the murals that are in a particular part of the ruins that you can unlock through a very, like, unknown quest it seems very niche if you aren't reading the boxes that you'll end up finding yeah the scribe box the priestess box and the princess's box and if you're not obsessed with why doesn't this door open which was my thing i just wanted the door to open yeah i'm with tiff it's like knock knock (laughs) yeah knock knock yeah this was was touched on in um the lawrence clan episode that we did because someone from this community ended up becoming one of the i guess founding members of of monster but this was a a clan of people that were in old Mondstadt back when it was, you know, being frozen to high hell or to cold hell <laughs> by Andreas and um, I guess Decarabian or Decarabia. And um, this clan escaped old Mondstadt and found this, you know, what they thought was like paradise in this mountain. Later, of course, it turned into another freezing wasteland. But these are, yeah, this is like very, very early on in, in the lore of the game that we know. Right. It's technically, it predates 
Conria. It's it's said that it's about 3000 years before contemporary time, aka right. when when we're around in Tibet. And when they came upon the mountain, they called it Vindagnir and Sal Vindagnir is quote unquote the city. And the reason we don't call it that anymore is after Devalin and Venti defeated Durin, Durin died on top of the mountain, so we call it Dragonspine, because his bones are littered all over it. <laughs> right. Just to go back a little bit, Salvindagnir was founded right about the time of the Archon War. So right before Venti becomes a god, right before Old Mondstadt is freed, that is when they're settled. And they live a very happy life. And they're specifically always talk about a white tree, which many of us may recognize now as the frost-bearing tree that you can go bring the crystal things to and be like, please give me more stuff. But they specifically worship this tree. This tree is something that they really adore. It's a little strange. (laughs) And as Brandon mentioned, besides the priest who later has a a daughter, the princess, and a scribe who seemed to be the most notable people from the land, Umenlocker was also from the land, who later went on to found the Umenlocker clan, who was one of the main founding clans of New Mondstadt, where we find it now in-game. Basically, (laughs) they built this city there. It was beautiful. They really loved their life and they felt like they were blessed by Celestia. The chief one day had a daughter and they named her the princess. She had a real name. We really don't know her name because time has worn down on us. Uh, And she seemed to be very blessed. And one of the things that she could do was she could actually see the future, which is super cool. Yeah. And she would paint what she saw, which I think is really interesting, too. Because it's a nod almost to Albedo, who paints on Dragonspine all the time. Oh, that's cool. I never actually put that together, but yeah, you're right. So this princess could see into the future, and she would paint on the walls, and they called her paintings frescoes and they were supposed to be her way of like telling the future so when you're ever when you're exploring dragonspine travelers and you are unlocking these like mystery doors or you're finding these like cave paintings these are actually remnants of like three thousand years ago i do want to point out the reason they call them frescoes is be more than likely because they have a lot of gold in them because a lot of byzantine and early italian frescoes have a lot of gold and beautiful history i like frescoes frescoes fuck Ah! i just think a soda (laughs) you know it's tasty and also beautiful so so all of these paintings and everything that she did is actually all within the entombed city in that one section of Dragon Spine. Do we know if they actually, is anything outside of that area or really everything that we're talking about now really takes place in that that one area that's by the Statue of the Seven? There are some carvings in like broken murals that have definitely been weathered. I think one of the the first ones I can think of is an area to the southwest where like you kind of can go underneath a bridge and there's a couple of not necessarily like the very beautiful frescoes we see, but definitely carvings and a lot of um, different symbols painted on them. Absolutely. And I'd like to also say that these frescoes can also be spotted in one other place in Tavat. I think it's in Tavat, at least. For our travelers who have played any of the summer events, some very similar paintings can actually also be found in the Golden Apple Archipelago during the summer events. 
I didn't get to play the first summer event, so I really can't attest to that. But in the second summer event, the one that just happened in 2022, I actually found some of them out exploring. And I remember being like, what the hell is this? What is happening? This is crazy. (laughs) Wow. So I didn't even put that together because I guess I just haven't played enough of Dragonspine. So I didn't recognize that they looked the same. Oh, that's so funny, Brandon, because I I only put two and two together because you told me the theory of the tops of Dragonspine. I don't know if you remember telling me that theory now. So for our travelers who don't know, Venti is a very powerful god. I know he doesn't show that very often to us, but the archipelago is actually rumored to be the tops of mountains that Venti didn't like, that he kind of like threw off into the middle of nowhere and is formed the archipelago. And I do know there are some rumors that Musk Reef, where the spiral abysses, could have possibly been created with the top of uh, Dragonspine, because it does look like Dragonspine has lost the top of its mountain. No, so Musk Reef is just used to be an icy mountain, sort of like Dragonspine. Oh, okay. And Venti decided to use the wind to basically blow all the snow and ice off of the mountain, uh, to create the seas around Mondstadt. Oh, and that okay. that sort of covered up the whole mountain of Musk Reef, uh, except for the tip. So when you're actually going to the Spiral Abyss, you're at the top of an old mountain. Oh, okay. So then the rumors I've heard are just that the top of some dragon spine created the golden archipelago, the golden apple archipelago. That would be really neat too, going off of that theory, because the only other place that we see the architecture of those, because I stared at that door, back to that door that I couldn't open for however long, is uh, when you get to Inazuma and you're on the foggy island, when you're underground, there's a lot of that same similar architecture and the circular type doors that you see on Dragonspine. There's also some similar ones on the main island of Inazuma, where kind of on the back edge of the shrine down all the way on the water there's also some similar architecture too which is interesting Mm -hmm. because salvin dagnier is said to be one of the oldest civilizations that still kind of is remembered to this day and amongst them are the people of the chasm as well so there's a lot of weird interesting similarities they they may have been traveling out a little bit too or Maybe, you know, when they actually were fleeing old Mondstadt, maybe they kept going. (laughs) Yeah, definitely a possibility. And, you know, from what Brandon just said, you know, 3000 years ago, the seas of Mondstadt weren't around yet. There were just a ton of mountains over there. So who knows if the seas that lead to Inazuma were even a thing back then, right? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Been a whole Pangea you know what's thing. weird? Is <laughs> with like the Norse names of this clan of people that founded what's now Dragonspine. You know how like the Immenlocker clan was like one of the founding families of Mondstadt? Yeah. But there aren't any around anymore? Mm-hmm. Do you think that that could have been the, the clan that went and sort of founded Conria? Because a lot of the Conrian characters that we come into or that we run into, um, they have like Norse sounding names. That could be possible. It's also, there might be a possibility that, I mean, we don't know where Conria is physically. Under Mondstadt. I'm having a sneaking suspicion that it's not under Mondstadt, but under the ocean, just south of Dragonspine and kind of where like um, the abyss a spiral abyss entrance is like perhaps Conrio was a lot closer 
and it kind of sunk to the sunk to the sea, you know, after a particular, you know, cataclysm, cataclysy. Sorry, I can't control myself. <laughs> um, but it would it would make sense that you would have a lot of different naming cultures kind of go back and forth in close proximity. But it could also be that Conria had like maybe before it was truly Conria had those naming conventions of Old Norse, and those moved to Old Mondstadt, who then moved to uh, Dragonspine. So. Unfortunately, we don't know truly, but it's a high possibility, especially with how similar the naming conventions are. Definitely possible. I like the idea, too, though, that it's possible that, like Brandon said, you know, the Umanlocker clan, kind of with MIA, they also were one of the few people who worship Istaroth, who we now know is the time god, even though we have yet to meet Istaroth or have anyone besides Venti talk about it, but... But that's my understanding is that the time god was worshipped by the people of South and Dagnir and later becoming the Umanlocker clan. But before we jump too much farther into this, because we haven't even finished the crazy story of South and Dagnir. So let's finish that and then jump into a little more theorizing around this. So we were talking about the frescoes. Frescas, you got a nice pop with you right now. So (laughs) the princess who could see the future and painted it one day had a dream of a big black dragon coming in and creating loom and doom and bad omens all over Salvin Dagnir. and around that time it is said that they got sky nailed um, <laughs> wow <laughs> so my favorite part of Celestia is that when people act up they either sky nail them or they conria them. So, and I think <laughs> Salvin Dagnir was the first population that was sky nailed, which basically means Celestia sent down a column of sorts right into the middle of the mountain. And when this sky frost nail fell from Celestia for reasons that were very unknown to the people, all of a sudden their homeland, their mountain, their, you know, saving grace uh, was covered in clouds. It was dark. And all of a sudden it started to remind them of old Mondstadt because it was snowing. That's when Umenlocker comes into play because he was living in Salvin Dagnir at the time. He became very close with the princess and he decided he was going to go out there and try to figure out what the hell was going on and find a way to save the nation. So the princess, who was madly in love with him, gave him the Snow Tomb Star Silver and said, like, good luck, boo. And he never returned to see her again. Because by the time he did return to Salvin Dagnir, everyone had died. That's so sad. Hey, I came back to try and save us. Oops, you're already dead. And don't, for- don't forget, when he found out they all died, he put... The gifted snow-tuned star silver in that little room we find. Wait, but were they really in canon romantically involved? I don't think so. I don't really think that. I think he had loyalty. The only thing that's forced in the ground about them is that they were very close and that she was going to dedicate her fourth fresco to him. And she said that she would wait for his return, but he was unable to hear her because of the snowstorm around him. Yeah, she liked him. Before we jump more into Umenlocker and his life and everything, I want to talk a little bit more about what ended up happening in Salvin Dagnir. So the Skyfrost nail fell. Umenlocker, you know, left with this new sword to try to save his 
his newfound people, right? At this point, the princess was trying to work on these paintings because it's like her life's calling at this point. And they started to notice that that tree, the white tree that they really loved and adored, was starting to wither and fall apart. The priest, who was the princess's father, uh, decided to like go up the mountain, seek guidance, hope that like his family and his people could survive. And he re- really was banking on the fact that his the daughter's next painting had to showcase melting snow and flowers blooming. Otherwise, he truly felt that they were going to be doomed. And when he returned down from the mountain, she was unable to finish the painting. It says that there are some other circumstances that happened, but it's also suggested that she couldn't paint what she actually saw because she knew it wasn't what her father wanted to see. So, which is scary, though, because, like, what the hell did she see? Because and this was different from the the dragon one, right? This, this was is after the dragon. The dragon one is her second fresco. So this is the third fresco that she's unable to finish because she knows it's going to be upsetting to her father, which is very interesting because you're assuming that 2,500 years later, when the cataclysm happens, is when her second fresco comes to life. So it's like how many years until this third fresco that she couldn't do happens, right? But before we jump into that, while this is all going on, the Skyfrost Nail actually splits into three pieces, which we see halfway up the mountain, and we can see with the quest, because that's when we put it back together. Uh, For travelers, there's a whole quest line about putting the Skyfrost Nail together and putting it back in the sky, which is really scary. And it takes forever. These three pieces all go into different places and they're part of that whole quest line where there's like different bubbles of things and you have to like release them basically. Uh, one of them includes freeing the frostbearing tree. And when the piece of the sky nail hits the tree, the princess is devastated and the princess ends up dying next to it. Doesn't the princess, she actually tries to take a branch from the the Mm -hmm. frostbearing tree and replant it to try to make it grow into the tree that it was before. And that doesn't work. And that's the tree she dies next to. Yes. (laughs) Born by the tree, die by the tree. And that comes into play more when you finish Sumeru. Oh, does it? Oh my God. Yeah. Not Sumeru related, but that tree, I know that when I say this, Brandon and Tiff, because I fought it with them, is going to remember it. But for travelers, during the quest line, there's another side quest you could do in Dragonspine where you need to find three boxes. And there are three boxes left behind from these three people, the priest, the princess, and their scribe. And you actually find the princess's box on this little island uh, right outside of Dragon Spine, where you're still affected by the sheer cold, but you could see grass. And you have to fight like two or three abyss mages after touching a sword. And that's where the princess tried to plant the tree. And that's where uh-huh. she died. Okay. So we think that the tree is tied to Ermin Soul, right? The Ermin Soul tree from Sumeru lore, which we also think is tied to all of the domains. I mean, that would make sense. Connected by ley lines. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it would definitely make sense of having some kind of connection between all of them outside of it just being, you know, a statement piece on the <laughs> on the mountain. <laughs> it's not just the great accessory of Dragonfly. Yeah. <laughs> really? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of the follow up a little bit more. The scribe whose name was Uko. 
U-K-K-O, in case I'm saying that wrong. He came in and he wanted to heal the ley lines and he couldn't because the ley lines were also freaking out with everything with the tree, which really does lend hand to what you just said, Brandon, about it being related to the Ermansol tree as well, in my opinion. And that's when Uman Locker eventually returns and he's come back and he's upset because he didn't find a way to help his nation and help his people and help the princess. And that's when he finds that they all died. And now I'm getting confused in times. Mm-hmm. So can you just give me a little a little refresher? So we have the mountain that's now turned cold. It's got the nail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the nail turned it cold. How long after this does... After this whole thing, does the dragon die there? Durin doesn't has not happened at all yet. So okay. Durin Durin happens during the cataclysm. Okay, and we're all we're still pre-cataclysm. Yeah, we're very close to the Archon War still in time, Okay. From my understanding. I mm-hmm. could So pre pre-Archon War, they find this place, then the Archon War happens, and somewhere in that time frame, the Sky Frost Nail falls, turns it into a frozen wasteland, then fast forward many, many years, and then Durin attacks around the same time as the Cataclysm, which is 500 years before the start of the game. Yeah. Did I get okay. that right, Feeney? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's really the end right there of Salvin Dagnier. So like 3,000, 2,500 years ago, Umenlocker comes back, finds his loves dead, leaves behind the star tomb, star silver, and runs back to Mondstadt, where he becomes the founder of the Umenlocker clan, who then become one of the main uh, founding clans, as we know, of Mondstadt. And it seems like nothing happens on Dragonspine for many, many years after that. <laughs> I don't know why, though. Did did you guys see anything about that? Because it's cold. Come on. <laughs> no one yeah, wants I mean, to go there. <laughs> I do. But would you have wanted to go there before Albedo? <laughs> yes, I did want to go there prior to knowing of Albedo. Yes, I thought it was really cool. I mean, when you realize there's like a dragon skeleton on it, you're kind of like, ooh, <laughs> what is this? You know? Fair yeah. point. Fair point. The dragon and the whole idea of like the heart of the mountain being underneath and all the, the crimson things and kind of, you know, when you're looking for his teeth and stuff like that, that's all really, that's neat. And so, and the crimson things, though, so that, that's, that is, Durin's blood, like crystals of his blood. Is that right? Well, yes. Oh, I was just going to say, before we jump into his blood and his body parts too much, what happened with Durin? You know, the princess's fresco came true, but like what exactly happened there? Right. So during the cataclysm or around the time of the cataclysm, we don't know for sure if it was during it or right before it or right after it, but Durin, who has been corrupted attacks Tavat and fights Venti and Devalin, one of the four winds of Mondstadt, along with Venti, the Archon of Mondstadt. And there's a, this big epic battle and Durin is finally defeated and dies atop Dragonspine. Dries as a top? Da- did I say drag? Dies No, atop. I said I said it wrong. I was making a I was making a oh. top joke. <laughs> that Durin's a top. <laughs> the tops the tops of Mondstadt. <laughs> There's D Luke there. <laughs> That's it. There's only D Luke. Just D Luke. <laughs> oh god. So gold, right? Gold releases Durin and shit happens. 
Yeah, and we've mentioned this before, but Durin is Albedo's brother, question mark, created by Gold, who also has a Norse-sounding real name. What's her real name? I forget. Raiden Daughter? Yeah, it's Rhine Daughter, which directly translates to Daughter of Rhine, which is interesting, but also we don't know who the fuck Rhine is anyway. (laughs) Right. I immediately thought it was orange. <laughs> I was just like an orange rind. So we all call her gold because <laughs> that's easier. And she, uh, as we've mentioned before, is like the great sinner, quote unquote, who we theorize is somehow involved in the cataclysm and Conria. And she created Durin through alchemy, I believe, as well as a prototype version of Albedo and then the Albedo that we all know and love. <gasps> I know and love. <laughs> so Durin dies. And this is where the real creepy stuff of Dragonspine kind of jumps into play. Where we, the crystal, are they crystal agates or uh, agates? I believe it's agate. Okay, agate. It's agate. The crystal agate. What did you call me? <gasps> <gasps> oh, oh, no. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the crystal agates are his crystallized blood and also people say that dragon by people i mean the current day in-game people of monstat say that dragonspine is so dangerous because there's weird mutated creatures on dragonspine and stronger than normal creatures on dragonspine and a lot of theory i think mostly from albedo is that the blood of his brother is causing these mutations (laughs) do we know why durin's blood was corrupted or poisoned do we know if that was the abyss that did that or that it was just the way that gold created him i think it's just how gold created him i always assumed that it was like gold corrupting him there's a lot of i remember where i read it exactly but durin when he like left conria and went out to like destroy monstad basically he actually wanted to like play with Davalin. like he wanted to be friends with Davalin, and he was like a big dreamer like he was a dragon with a lot of dreams i, I don't know it sounds like <laughs> like a you know sounds like an acid trip to me being yeah, a dragon with a lot like... of dreams but he really like, wanted puff, to be friends puff the magic durin yeah, <laughs> yeah this is all figment actually like but he wanted to be friends with Davalin, and I always assumed that Gold's corruption, like, because Albedo says at one point, and remember that Albedo is also made by Gold's hands, that if one day he destroys Mondstadt, he hopes that the Traveler will stop him. And there's a lot of lore and theory that Albedo could possibly become corrupted by Gold the same way that Durin was. Yeah, I mean, everything else that Gold made is pretty downright evil. Yeah. The or others. was it corrupted by something else? And, you know, maybe gold had the best intentions. That's also true. I I think during our Abyss Order episode, Brandon, you actually talked to a lot about how maybe gold was corrupted by the Abyss. And that's how she, therefore, corrupted Durin. Which is possible. Yes. We don't know enough about it. And that's why I think, like, what you and Al and I said almost all seems like the same exact thing, right? Who says that Albedo isn't, you know, just bathing in Doran's blood? Bathe his blood. Just rolling around nude. Bathing in, in the blood. snow. Like, ah, power. Like, this is the key to life. 
I'll figure yeah. it out if I just keep <laughs> using this. Oh no, oh no, I've been corrupted. I'm a fucking flower. Klee shows up and is like, what are you doing? Also, um, is good. for our travelers who don't know, um, Albedo and Klee are adopted siblings to a point. Not in the way that Al- that Klee is made of alchemy. <laughs> um, but Albedo's master Gold, who also created Durin, uh, left Albedo in her best friend's hands, and that is Alice. And Alice has a daughter named Clee. And Alice really insists that Albedo call her Aunt Alice. And Albedo's like, eh, I don't know. And- yes, and Alice and Gold were in the same witch's circle along with Mona's master, who she calls Old Hag. Calls Old Hag? I thought that was her <laughs> She's name. She's so nice. I love that's it. Her, that's her official name. You Old actually hag. pronounce it Oldhag. Oldhag. It's like Olga. Olga Hag. It's fun. Um, is it really? Is is that really her Mona's master's name? Is there like a a German sounding version of it in the game? Oldenhago. No. <laughs> I wish that would have been okay. so fucking. I thought funny. you. Might, I thought. Look, I would have believed it. <laughs> <laughs> like a version of Rhine Daughter that just sounded like old hag and like the everyone just started calling her old hag. <laughs> I mean it could be like Olda, like Olda Hagen, Olda Hagen, mm, old hag. I don't know. I mean, but isn't Mona from Fontaine wouldn't wouldn't um her master kind of have like a more French esque name? I don't know. I have no idea where Mona's from. <laughs> That's least, true. <laughs> we don't know. I, I always assumed that Mona, she was like trained in leeway. Like when we meet Mona, she goes to say goodbye to her master in leeway. So I guess I always thought that she might be from leeway. But I mean, Fontaine would also make sense. Like, I, I don't know much about Fontaine, but her outfit could be Fontanian. She she does say that she's been to Fontaine a lot. I can't remember exactly what line it was. Wait, Gold, Alice, and Old Hag are the Moon Sisters. That's very I... possible. I mean, we don't know how old any of them are, right? So they very well could be. Yeah, it's assumed that they were there during the cataclysm, and that's all we know. It's a fun theory. I like it. It's a fun theory, and I was like, depending if it's a witch coven, and you think witch covens, and think of the moon and the symbolic nature of moon and ritual and witchery. And I'm like, moon sisters, they they died, and maybe they're reincarnations. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there mm. to get people's minds yeah. turning. Their um their coven had formal tea parties, so I'm not really sure how evil you they were. Well, they could only be so evil too. I mean, Sid, Lisa doesn't join the coven, even though she's the witch of the purple rose. She's yeah. just like I got. I don't want to do anything with this. Mona, we know, does. She's trained by her master, and then Senora, who La Senora, who's the Crimson Witch of Flames. She doesn't join it, but I don't know if she's just like, she doesn't join it because she hates being called a witch or she has another reason. But the fact that her name is Crimson Witch of Flame and she's obviously a witch and doesn't want to be called a witch. Well, if you know, if you guys are right too, and the rest are possibly the Moon Sisters, like La Signora was Rosalie originally. That was her name when she lived in Mondstadt. And there's could be a huge disconnect between her and possibly the three Moon Princesses, right? Like if they are the Moon Princesses, why would they invite a Mondstadian cursed like that into their ranks? Hmm. Also, wasn't Rosalie's lover killed 
by Durin? I don't remember who killed him. I know he was killed during the Cataclysm time. It was either him or like his best friend or something. Yeah. But someone tied to her was was killed by Durin during the battle between Durin and Devalin and Venti. I believe that was her. To... I do believe it was her lover because I think the best friend of her boyfriend was like the person in charge of Mondstadt at the time. And he had like a lot of guilt for not being able to like save him. But um, I would like to also throw out there too that, you know, Rosalie does end up joining the Fatui and she becomes a harbinger quite quickly. The Fatui joint kind of starts forces during the Cataclysm as well. Dotare, Signora, and... What is his name? Oh, um... The first Harbinger, a.k.a. Kaya's dad. Yeah, they... Unconfirmed, but confirmed. If someone remembers his name, we'll say it. But those three are the first Harbingers. So it also could be that, you know, Signora became a Harbinger instead of joining this coven, too, which is totally possible. Piero, by the way. Ah, Piero. The jester, right? (laughs) But either way, we're we're getting very far from Dragonspine. And it's, it all connects. We're talking about gold, you know? So Durin dies and Dragonspine then becomes this like barren wasteland where Durin the dragon, he his body decomposes quite literally. And if you look at Dragonspine in certain ways, you can actually see his skull and you can fly past and on his rib cage. And there's also a little cave that has what we assume to be Durin's heart still intact and quite red and and beating gooey yeah it's gooey and gooey which like what how do you guys think that happened do you think that's like albedo do you think that's gold yeah it sounds like some kind of witchy stuff like why does part of him still stay alive up there and why does his blood lens the the frost bearing tree yeah because oh, it's very yeah. warm he's a dragon he isn't it isn't so that he's like a frost dragon He's just a dragon. So maybe right. but like when you're yeah. running when you're running around Dragonspine, you're like collecting his crystallized blood and then you turn it in at the frostbearing tree and it mm-hmm. aren't you cleansing the tree technically? Maybe you're just warming it up. Or you're like making it come back to life or something. I, I just maybe. always took it as you're revitalizing it with yeah. with Durin's blood. And if he's corrupted and his blood is poisonous and it's doing creepy stuff with whopper flowers and all this other stuff, then why is it having this effect on a tree that, you know, once brought all this life to the mountain? Well, the tree also has like the red in it and stuff like that. So it might be just feeding it and even even to a sense transforming it in a way it might be how it continues to live in such a barren wasteland Mm -hmm. you know and then if you compare it to which i know we have um the the idea and even just the gameplay with that tree the same with the um sacred sakura in in azuma and the I don't know its real name, but the dream radish down in Sumeru, <laughs> they're not actually growing. They're, we're kind of giving them things as offerings, right. kind of just being like, hey, be cool. Give me some stuff. I'd like to throw out a crack theory about what the hell is going on with Durin's heart and blood and call me an eternal optimist because I want Albedo to be good. And that could be where this is all coming from. But what if Dragonspine kind of froze Durin's heart, very like Captain America style, you know, where like he's encapsulated and frozen in ice and a hundred years later, they're able to bring him back. And what if 
Durin's heart had been frozen in Dragon's Spine this whole time. You know, there's not a lot known about Albedo's like age and how long he's been around. I like to believe that Albedo looks his age. And what if Albedo had heard all these rumors about his dead dragon brother, went to Dragon's Spine to check it out. By this point, by the time in my theory, Albedo's really old enough to go out there and investigate Dragon's Spine. The Adventurer's Guild is using Dragon's Spine for training. Dragon's Spine is being more explored. And he goes out there and he's able to find Durin's heart. And what if he's actually using Durin's heart and trying to do some alchemy shit to it to make Durin good in a way to almost protect himself from being corrupted in the same way? Or maybe he just feels bad for his brother. But I also like that theory. I really do. Well, I could definitely see Albedo has that worry. You know, he is fearful that something's going to happen to him. And he's even starting to use his alchemy for good. Uh, We learned that during the most recent Monset event when he tells us he's created a (laughs) potion uh, that is supposed to help people not get hung over and like sober up quickly. So he is, you know, using his alchemy for better and bigger and better things right now. So there is a chance that does he does Albedo use anything besides a. The, what we know is the crafting table for alchemy like does he use his own powers or blood or anything for that as far as we know albedo can draw and an object will come to light like an object will appear uh during the suspedo event he does draw chairs for everyone when they hang out at his campsite if you guys i don't know if you guys remember but Ayula requests a back to her chair she's the only one <laughs> She's like, I'd like a chair with a back. And he's like, you got it. As he draws, like, so. But he's not using, like, his blood or anything to not do that, that, I know that of. we know of. But that is interesting because maybe what they were made of is what allows him to do that so powerfully. And maybe that, you know, one of my favorite theories is that gold used the Genesis Pearl, which is mentioned in the Battle Pass intro video. It's implied that it's something in the abyss. Uh, and it's called the Genesis Pearl, which to me makes me think that it's involved in creation. So right. one of my favorite theories is that gold uses the Genesis Pearl to create these different constructs, including Durin and Albedo. So maybe they have that power within them where they can just sort of magically create. And that would explain why Durin's blood can sort of try to revitalize the Frostbearing Tree and why, why Albedo can create from drawing. I love that, honestly. It makes a lot of sense. I would also imagine that there could be some, you know, I mean, I know that she didn't birth them as her children, but that we know she's of. a witch. So maybe there's some of that passed along too. Yeah. I mean, you put a little bit of yourself into everything you do, right? <laughs> so we've really covered a lot with Dragon Spine. We've covered how it was initially settled. We've talked about also the demise of Salvin Dagnier. And we've talked about how it got its nickname Dragon Spine and how there's a dead body on it and how there's all this crazy shit going on there. Where do you think we go from there? What was this third fresco? Like, well, what is going to happen? to talk more about the Skyfrost nail. Let's go for it. Yes, please. I have theories. Go for so it. So we don't know why the Skyfrost nail fell on, you know, Salve and Dagner. We know that it made it very cold. It basically turned it from paradise into just complete frozen and that it basically killed everyone there so i think there's a lot of theories out there that it was like a punishment specifically people think that it came from celestia uh, and that it was sent to punish the people there 
Um, I do have a fun theory that if that is true, that it was sent because the princess of that clan who could see the future, maybe seeing the future was breaking the heavenly principles and that that could be a reason why it was considered like forbidden knowledge that it was sent to sort of wipe them out because they can't have that spreading. Yeah, because nobody can be more important and more knowledgeable than them right they're very high and mighty up there right that makes sense i think it could be a mixture of things but when you look at the frescoes you see the people wearing crowns worshiping a particular deity it, it very much looks godlike but it does not look like the unknown god we see and they are blessing or it seems as though it is blessing the people of salvin Degner. And then we can see in the next fresco, basically what looks like a pillar being raised on the top of the mountain, and Celestia is right above it. And I have a feeling, because if we go back to the Uman lockers, and if they were worshipping Astaroth and not, you know, everyone of Celestia, perhaps the Unknown God had already been there, was mad, took the statue that they raised in honor of Astaroth, and used it as the sky nail and fucking was like, oh, you wanna you wanna worship this motherfucker? Here, have a fucking sky nail of your own creation. Oh wow. I just want that to be true because it's very poetic. <laughs> but in all it definitely seems because Celestia is pictured in the frescoes, it seems that Celestia definitely has a connection of as to why the sky nail happened. More than likely they threw it down. But what is the punishment? They were blessed by gods and obviously had like the favor of the gods. Did they lose the favor of Celestia or were they worshiping someone and getting knowledge that they weren't supposed to? Like Tiff was saying, who knows? Also, the Skyfrost nail isn't the only nail to come down to Tevat. There's also a nail in the chasm, which is sometimes called the spirit stone, which doesn't seem to be cold or emanate you know freezing temperatures right it's it's um it's referred to as a crystal and i don't i thought that was really weird because you know with the sky frost nail i just assumed that it was tied to like the elemental aspect of the game in my head i was like oh is there probably like a pyro nail that's that came down somewhere and that's horrifying (laughs) but um the chasm nail doesn't seem to be emanating an element that we know of it does have some weird properties and is like causing weird things to be drawn to it it also sort of ties into this idea that there was this ancient civilization that was destroyed because we know that the civilization that lived inside the chasm predated conria because i believe dainsleaf says that or someone says that during that dainsleaf quest when you're in the chasm would you find out that your sibling is trying to activate that thing that will basically put the all the hilly trolls and pain um, and Dainsleaf is very against it. You find out that the a lot of the stuff around there predated Conria. So there was some other ancient civilization there. Also, there's this nail. So maybe that's what wiped them out too. Right. Is there a nail or something similar in Enconomia? No, but Enconomia like sank into the ground. That was destroyed during that battle between the primordial one and the second who came. Mm, okay. So I was just I, wondering if there was like a connection between all of our our little, of you course. know, like extra the pre-Conrian 
civilization. Yeah. yeah, I wish I thought the same thing, Tiff. And I was reading up. I was like, oh, I'm I'm surprised there's not a nail there. But maybe, yeah, maybe they sunk below the sea before the nails came down. Also, the people of Inkanomiya, they escaped Inkanomiya and formed what is now known as Watasumi Island. Right? Isn't that the whole like they? climbed up the coral that grew out of the Urabashi body and they left Inkanomiya. Like from my understanding, Inkanomiya is kind of like a a barren wasteland now. It's like yeah. abandoned. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't think they would have been like Skyfrost nailed. Um <laughs> well we don't know what they were doing beforehand. True. Or if they were left above ground if they would have done something sus. We do know they mm-hmm. had access to information about uh possible pre-Celestia Tavat, mm-hmm. because Conria was searching for a book there, and we later on can do a quest to look for said book. Um, but as far as I know, they escaped, and they are the people of Inazuma now. So, you know, the shop people. Maybe it was a hydro nail, and that's what <laughs> made them sink below the sea. That could be possible. That suggests that the primordial one is throwing the nails out there, too. True, true. <laughs> yeah, I guess the timeline isn't the same. I mean, that that works to me. Or the second who came could be throwing nails out there you don't know there's some really interesting quotes from the black serpent knights which were the royal guard of conria and they can be found in the chasm right yes they're in the chasm you fight them they're like the twisted version of the royal guard of conria which is the group that danesleaf led and you know danesleaf escaped the curse but all of his fellow royal guard did not and they became sort of like the monster version of those people and so you fight them in the chasm and some of them have some really cool quotes about the nail in the chasm oh really yeah so there's one that says even the ominous thing that came down from the heavens shall be ours to use which makes me wonder if conria was trying to go after these nails to try to use them in their own fight against celestia another one said we shall cleanse the tainted things from the skies with sacred blood the heavens judgment the needle of retribution never forget so that sort of reinforces the theory that these were sent down to punish people and then there's another one that says do not disturb the sleeping stone from the heavens which is really scary because it makes me (laughs) it makes me think that the one at least the one in the chasm hasn't even been activated yet Oh, I hate that. Like, what are they going to do? Like, what do you think would happen if they activated it, like, tomorrow? What would it do? Is it a geonail? I don't know. (laughs) Earthquakes? Oh, geez. Oh, no. Death, obviously. Death. Well, unless anyone has any last-minute crackpot theories. It, It could be that they used the statue that they created in honor of whichever god they were doing and then use that against them or in truth because when you look at it when when you finish the quest that reconstructs the ice sky nail it looks very similar to the doric columns we see when we open the game when we're looking at the unknown god and like the area they're in which is why i truly do think it was celestia throwing down these pillars these are very reminiscent of like the architecture we see associated with celestia yes also uh similar to paimon's outfit yes very yes very true hated here 
So one last thing. So there were, I don't know if you all remember in your adventures through Dragonspine, but there were these nine partially buried rune guards. Yes. And they had these records of serial numbers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I remember playing through that area and being like, what the hell is this? Because uh, nothing really happens. Well, apparently some fans compiled all of it and like did some hardcore deciphering. And I mean, like people actually use a cipher <laughs> to decode what these these messages mean. And what they ended up with was, for the nation, we can't forego the skyborne power, but we failed. And so that sort of lends to my theory, I think, of uh, that Conria was really trying to harness the power of these nails for their own use, but that it ultimately did not work. I don't know if there are any other theories about what that could mean, but I thought that was really interesting. I think that's terrifying. Now, are the rune guards, are they originally from Conria? Yes. I wasn't sure if I was remembering They were created as war machines by Conria. Okay. That that's really cool. Yeah, you keep walking up to all those little rune guards and they just tell you a number and like I did you tiptoe up to them hoping they're not gonna wake up and try and smash you. Yeah, right. I was so scared. A lot of the ones that we run into in the world, you know, are just wandering around and they tend to like stay close to areas with treasure, but they were allegedly created with the purpose of fighting Celestia. So I love the idea that Conria made, you know, like basically program these nine special rune guards to go to Dragonspine and see if they can figure out like how to use the Skyfrost nail. And then yeah. they all failed. I hope that that's true and it comes out a little bit more as we go down in the story because just seems very sinister, but also really cool at the same time. Yeah, and that can get it. We can get into that in a different episode, but that also could tie into the ruined golems, like the giant ruin guards in Sumeru. Oh, those fuckers. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you all for coming along to Dragonspine with us today. I hope you all had your winter coats and your snowshoes on. Uh, Next week, we're going to be taking a thankful break, but please join us again on November 30th where we'll be talking about Barbara Pegg, our favorite idol and icon in Monset and Tavat. And just a reminder, if you haven't already, you can give us a follow on Instagram, Tales of Tavat Pod, or follow us on Twitter, Tales of Tavat. So let us know what you thought about today's episode, last week's episode, us, or anything you'd like to see different during the podcast. We'd really appreciate everyone's feedback, and uh, everything we've had so far has been so helpful. Otherwise, safe journeys, travelers. We'll see you next time. Bye, nerds.